Good to see you all. We have uh, been studying uh, some chapters about uh, out of the book of Psalms for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue that today. Um, we're going to talk about um, Psalms 139. Um, book of Psalms... Um, most of it was written by uh, David, as you know, and uh, David spent quite a bit of his early years on the run, and uh, the reason was because that Saul, the king, hated him. He wanted him dead. Why? Why did he want him dead? Um, well, it started back when, you remember, the giant came and... Uh, Saul and his armies were too afraid to go and fight this giant, Goliath. And uh, David, this little shepherd boy, came and he slew the giant with a slingshot. And of course that made King Saul and his army look really pretty weak. And uh, he should have felt ashamed about that. But instead of being ashamed of not trusting God, he took it out on David. And uh, David started uh, winning more battles, and they started writing songs about how David, how King Saul killed thousands, but David killed 10,000. And this made Saul even more angry, and he started to become afraid that the people were, um, were, were actually being more influenced by David than he was, and they was, that David was going to get this big influence in the country and more than in the king. And so he started trying to figure out how he could get rid of him. And he came up with a scheme. He had a daughter and he decided that he would figure out a way to get David killed. So he, he told David he, he would let him marry his daughter if he would go kill a hundred Philistines. And bring him their skin. And they, he thought that surely those Philistines, one of them was going to kill David. They were a mighty army. And uh, so he thought that would get rid of him. Well, David agreed. And instead, he killed 200 Philistines. Brought their skins back to the king. So that didn't work. So he went to his servants and his son, uh, Jonathan and told them that he wanted them to kill him. Because Saul was too afraid to do it himself because he knew God was with David and he was kind of afraid of, you know, killing him himself. But he, he wanted it done, so he asked them to do it. Well, Jonathan was a friend of David's. And so he went and told David what the king had planned. And later, at night, David escaped uh, with the help of his wife, uh, Saul's daughter. And he ran. And the first place he ran was to an old prophet named Samuel. And it's in the book of Samuel. We read about this, First Samuel. And First uh, Samuel 18 is where this kind of, the running started for ch in chapter 19. He ran... He ran to this old prophet, and while he was with 
the prophet, God protected him. And they, Saul would send armies and they couldn't touch him. And he, sent, he went himself and it couldn't harm him there. But eventually David started running again and he trying to hide from Saul. And Saul just became more and more obsessed, it seems, with killing David. And David ran and he comes to the land of Nod in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. He comes to the land of Nod and there a, a priest was there. And he had gotten so hungry from running <clears throat> that he lied to the priest in order to get some bread to eat. This lie would later cost the priest his life, as well as 85 other men, men of God. Well, while he was there at Nod, one of the servants of David came there, and he saw him, and he got afraid, so he ran again. And in verse 10 of chapter 21, it says that in desperation he escaped to, to Goth. Now, Goth is the enemy territory, the land of the Philistines. He was so desperate in running, he ran to there. Well, the people there recognized him. This is that man they wrote songs about, the one that killed 10,000. And they got a hold of him, and he became afraid. And they brought him to the king. And he was so afraid that he was going to die. He pretended like he was mad. And he started clawing at the gates and the doors. And he let the saliva run down his mouth as he pretended to be insane. Well, they brought him to the king. The king looks at him and said, I have no use of somebody like that. Get him away from me. He escapes again. This time he runs back toward home, to Israel. And he runs closer to where he grew up, and he knew there were some caves there. And he runs to these caves near his family, and there he gets some help. He gets some friends to come and some family to help him. And he gathers 400 men a little army he had there. But a prophet came and warned him to flee. And so he ran this time to the forests of Judah, as the prophet told him. Meanwhile, Saul finds out about this bread that the prophet at Nod gave him. He kills the, he, he kills the priest there, along with 85 others, for what they did. Helping David. In chapter 23, David goes and rescues a, a city of Judah from, or a city of Israel from the Philistines who are attacking. Saul finds out he's there and he sends an army to try to capture him because he was surrounded there. Well, David finds out and he escapes and he runs again. This time, him and his whole army scatter into the wilderness. And it says in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 23 that Saul sought him every day 
But every day, God wouldn't allow him to catch him. He always kept him just one step ahead of Saul. He tried. He went into the the mountains. He went into the forests. He went into the caves of the desert. And in verse 26, it describes a time when Saul was chasing him around this mountain. And says, as Saul went around this side, David was on the other side, just running. And they were just running around this mountain. Always ahead of him. Well, in chapter 24, David ends up hiding in this cave called the Rocks of the Wild Goats. And Saul shows up there with his mighty army. And Saul enters up, enter, enters this cave alone where David was. It was dark. Couldn't see a thing. And David could have killed him so easily. But he spared his life. And because of that, the king was humbled. And he quit chasing him for a while. But he soon forgot And he started after him again. And David had to run once again. He spent years fleeing from Saul. And after Saul died, when David became king, we remember a few weeks ago Michael talked about what he did. How he sinned and went after the wife of Uriah and tried to hide it by killing Uriah. He was running from God, trying to hide his sin from God as well as man. We're going to talk about Psalms 139. And in Psalm 139... David has stopped running. He's not trying to hide anymore. And he's through with running. The beginning of Psalm 139, he talks about how God knows all about you. He says in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. He starts here by acknowledging that God knows everything about him. Even his thoughts, all of his thoughts that he's ever had, God knows. And he knows everything about you today. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows that. And He knows everything you've ever done, everything you ever plan to do, and what you're planning on doing in the future. He knows this. And in verse 4, He says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it all together. Every word we speak, God hears. 
You have no secrets. Not a one. In verse 5, you have hedged You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Even knowing everything about David, both the good and all the bad, God still protected him. Even knowing everything about you, God sent his son to die for you. His beloved son. In verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. His knowledge is incomprehensible to us, it's beyond our understanding. In the next verses, David says that fleeing from God, running from God is completely pointless. The clicker stopped working. He says in Psalms 139 in verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now, this word hell is translated as Sheol, if you look up the root word in this verse. Sheol, which is the grave or the pit. You know... He's saying here that you can't climb high enough. You can't dig a pit deep enough to hide from God. There's only one way that you can escape the presence of God. And if that's if He comes and decides, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I don't want you to be near me and I'm going to move you away. That's the only way you can get away from the presence of God. And that's one of those other words translated hell in English. Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus. You don't want to go where God is not. Trying to run away from God is pointless. It's not a good idea. In this psalm, David's no longer trying to. In the next verse, he says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There's a turning point in David's life when he stops running away from God And grabs a hold of his hand instead. He goes back to being led by God. You know, all that time when he was running from Saul, God was protecting him. God was leading him. 
away from this danger. Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. God offered his hand to David. That same hand is offered to you today. Won't you take hold of that hand and let God lead you. Reach out to him and hold on like David did. The next verse, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. I'm sure you've been in a cave or a basement or something where there was no light at all, where you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. You know, to God, there's no difference. There's no difference between that and a bright sunny day outside. He sees everything. But we, we need God to see. We need Him to see. You know, we need to look at the world through God's eyes. Because God sees things that you can't see. We need his light. We need his, what he sees. Try to see the world around you the way God sees it. What does God say in the Bible about the things in your life? He sees them perfectly. Way better than you can. <clears throat> Next, David talks about the wonderful, marvelous works of God. <clears throat> he talks about how great the works of God are, how God created man from dirt after he created the dirt from nothing. Marvelous works of God. Psalms 139 and verse 14. He says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. How much time do you think man has spent over the centuries studying the human body? Probably more than any other thing God has created. The body has been studied so much. And yet today they're still finding out how little we actually know. The things we thought we knew actually might be more complicated than that and work a little bit differently than we thought. There's so little we really, really understand about God's creation. Our bodies were designed and manufactured by God, and they are wonderfully made. <clears throat> Have you ever set out to make something and it turned out really good? You know, really good. Now, I've, I've tasted some of the stuff you ladies have made, and it is good. Really good. 
I was last week looking over some code. I, I, I'd written a long time ago. I was trying to find some code I knew I'd written to accomplish a certain task. <clears throat> and I found this one piece that worked. And I was looking at it and, you know, that was, that's pretty good stuff. And it was elegant. And I, I remembered the code, but I'd forgotten about how good it was. And I started getting, you know, kind of proud. You know, man. But you know, the truth is, I probably copied most of it from something I found online. Because I'm not that smart. You know, we have all kinds of amazing inventions in our lives. Brilliant technologies. What I can do with my cell phone, I mean, I couldn't imagine long ago even accomplishing cars and Great buildings, you know. But all that stuff was just made on the backs of stuff other people made before them. It's just incremental changes. We move stuff around, reorganize it. And all of it is just stuff we've moved around that God created in the first place. We make copies of stuff that He has made. Cheap imitations, all of it. It's all worthless garbage compared to what God has created. Marvelous are His works. Marvelous. And that my soul knows very well. Then David talks about the precious thoughts of God. In Verse 17, he says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Are the thoughts of God precious to you? Have you ever told somebody something, you know, and they came back with, you know, I really don't care what you think. Maybe they don't even have to say those words. I don't care what you think. Sometimes their actions say those words just as loud. How does that make you feel? Are you kind of hurt by that? Maybe you get angry. They don't care what you think. You know... God is thinking something right now. You care? You thinks. How can you know what God thinks? Last week Danny gave us an outstanding lesson on the word of God. How precious it is. We can know what God thinks by reading what He says. And is is that something worthwhile to you? Is that something important in your life? It should be. It should be something we care about. His thoughts should be precious to us. 
And in the next few verses, David talks about the enemies of God. In Psalms 139 and verse 19, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. Now, Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to bless them and do good for them. He didn't tell us to help the enemies of God. He never told us to encourage them in their strife and their struggle against the Lord. You know, there's always been people who didn't agree with God's plans and tried to stop them. There are many out there who would turn your hearts, who would turn the hearts of your children away from God, the people you love, and take them away from salvation. There are people who would do that and want to do that. There's also people who will completely twist the truth right out of God's Word. Matthew 6 and 24, Jesus said something I want you to read. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I want you to know Psalm 139 was written by a man that served God. David tried loving the world. He tried loving the things in the world. He failed miserably. You know, growing up on a farm, we had this fence. And it was out around our barn. And we would bring sick cows in there and the calves, the milk cows. And I remember lots of times trying to walk on this fence all the way around. And I'd get up there and I would, I would pretend to be a trapeze guy or a circus person and I would try to run, walk around it. I never made it all the way. I would, I would always fall off. But I... I kept trying because it was fun, you know, even though I'd fall and it'd, it'd hurt sometimes. You know, if, if you try to walk in this life with part of your heart over here with God and another part of your heart over here in the world, 
That's the hardest walk you can walk. It's so much easier to walk on solid ground. You'll fall if you try to do that. You will fall. The book of Psalms. Psalms 139 was written by a man who had chosen a side. He jumped off the fence. He picked the side that he was on. David was fighting on God's side now. He wanted God's side to win. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? The book of this chapter, 139, ends with these words. David wrote this at the end. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Perhaps here remembering the wickedness of his own heart sometimes. David pleased with God to turn his heart away. To to lead him away from the wickedness that he found in himself sometimes. This young shepherd grew up and he desired to be one of God's sheep. To be led by him because he couldn't trust his own heart. God knew David's heart. And he knows your heart. He knows the secret things that David himself didn't even know. God knew. And David knew that he would be better off if God was leading. You have no secrets this morning. God knows everything about you. The secret things no one else knows, He knows. There's nowhere you can hide. There's no point in running from God. If you haven't made that choice, if you haven't decided you're completely on His side, what are you waiting for? You know, if you feel like you've been running from God and you're tired, if you want to make a change in your life spiritually, please come forward now, sit on the front pew, as we stand and sing.